the Creatively Paid Podcast with Casey Reed, where it's all about helping creatives turn their passions into profit. If you've ever struggled with the business side of creativity, this is the podcast for you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Creatively Paid Podcast. I'm so glad you guys are here. I'm so glad to have you listening in once again. So we've reached episode 13 and this episode to me is a very interesting episode because we're going to be talking about clients. <laughs> we're going to be talking about difficult clients. 10 ways on how you can deal with difficult clients. If you're a creative, I'm pretty sure you are very familiar with dealing with difficult clients. Every single creative at some point in time in your journey whether it's your very first client or it's some client later down the road, you're going to deal with a difficult client, right? It's just, it's like a rite of passage when it comes to like doing creative work, you know? <laughs> like once you sign up to exchange creative work for money, you're bound to <laughs> deal with a difficult client. But no worries. Today, I'm going to give you 10 ways. That's right, 10 ways on how to deal with difficult clients. So I hope that you can get ready, strap in, put on your seatbelt. If you're driving, you might want to slow down and listen to this episode. Just kidding. Just continue driving. It's fine. You don't need to, you don't need to do anything. <laughs> um, yeah. So let's get right into it. So for the most part, when it comes to dealing with d- difficult clients, there are about two, there's two sides of the coin, right? Us as creatives, we have to look at ourselves as well in terms of, is there anything that I am doing that could possibly be adding to why I'm dealing with difficult clients? Or in some cases, why am I getting so many difficult clients? Because I think with some people, they, you, can, you can end up kind of getting in a cycle of attracting people that you don't necessarily want to attract to your business, people that you don't necessarily like dealing with uh, or people that carry um, the same traits that just make it really difficult for you to work with them, right? And there's also the, the client side where there's various things about the client, about their expectations that make it a bit difficult for them um, in terms of how they're dealing with you and how they relate to you and how they communicate with you. So for the most part, Usually, there can be the whole aspect of price sensitivity, where a client is really sensitive to the price that you're offering them, right? Where they're like, they're not completely sure, or they don't agree with the price, or they don't see the value with how much you're charging for whatever it is that you're charging them for. And that can cause them to be a bit difficult because they, they either question your choices, they question the things that you want to do. And they can get pretty concerned about what it is that you're doing in your little hole when you're creating for them, right? And that is something, that's a reality that can happen. And it happens pretty often on the client side. And also, the biggest thing that happens a lot is a lack of communication, right? On both parts, there's a lack of communication. So when there's a lack of communication, it's pretty hard for the client to know what it is that you're saying truly and for you to know what they're saying truly. (laughs) You know, there's a time 
it can happen pretty often where you and the client can be speaking two different languages, right? And that is always a recipe for disaster. You, you really don't want that. You don't want that to be the case, right? So you want to clearly communicate what it is that you're trying to do. And yeah, you want to ensure that you both are on the same wavelength. So let me just go into the 10 things that you can do. What I said before was kind of a kind of giving you clarification in terms of why there could be um, difficulty, you know, um, and various things that can come up on the creative side and the client side that can make things a bit difficult, right? So the number one thing that I would suggest that you could do is being selective with your clients, right? This tip may not apply so much when you're first starting out. It really depends because I also believe, I believe that when you're starting out, you can be selective with your clients, right? But there's also the side of that coin where you may want to, if you're really just, just starting out, as in you don't really have experience in that creative field as yet, you most likely need to work with as much people as possible to figure out who you want to work with, right? Figure out what types of clients you want to work with, what types of people you like working with, right? So you really want to be selective with your clients. And this has to do with figuring out what your ideal client is, right? And your ideal client has a few faces, right? Your ideal client has to do with the avatar that you are um, targeting in terms of that person's needs, their, their desires, what problems they want to solve, so on and so forth. But it also has to do with their persona, the types of people you want to deal with, you know, um, what kind of character traits you like dealing with, what types of people you like working with the most, or what types of people you work with the best, you know? So you really want to be very selective with your clients. Number two is you want to be willing to work with your client. You want to be willing to partner with your client. You want to be willing to add them into the creative process. I know that can sound pretty stressful. I know. <laughs> For me, just saying that, I, I feel <laughs> the hairs on my head kind of stand up because it can be stressful to, to think to include the client into the creative process. But trust me, it always works out in the end because it helps them to give better insight in terms of what is happening, where their money is going. And the more that you take them along the process of your creation and being able to justify certain choices and so on and giving them kind of a say in what it is that you're doing, that really helps reassure them in terms of where you're going and it helps them know that you, kinda, that you really know what it is that you're doing, right? The third tip is qualifying your leads. Okay, this is really important. It's kind of similar to the first point being selective with your clients, but it's a bit different where you want to qualify your leads, right? And what that basically means is you want to ensure that every single person that, that acts, that desires to work with you, that expresses um, a need to work with you or a want to work with you, you want to qualify them, right? So you want to send them a nice little questionnaire. It can be 10 plus questions that clarify what it is that they need, right? You go ahead and send them that. 
That's something that I like to do, right? You send them a questionnaire, kind of helping them detail what it is that they want to do. And then oftentimes, that questionnaire can look like a very clear creative brief, right? It can be it can be the same thing as in you can use the creative brief as that qualifier for your leads, or you can make it a two-fold process where you send them that questionnaire, then you talk to them, right? And as you're talking to them, you can create your creative brief after asking them various questions that you want to ask them to get a better idea of what it is you want to do. Or you can just send them, send them a creative brief, right? Um, initially to help qualify them throughout this process, right? And I kind of want to give you a few things that you want to have in your creative brief. And it's usually something pretty short, right? Usually you want a, a brief brand statement just to get an idea of what their brand is all about. You want a, an overview of their background and the objectives of the business. You want to get an idea of the key challenges that they have, right? You want to find out who they're targeting, who are their biggest competitors, and the primary message that their brand um, has. What, what, is, what are the brand values? What, are, what is their current position in the market, right? So yeah, so those are a few things you kind of want to have within your creative brief, right? Then, tip number four. You want to set clear expectations. And this kind of ties into what I said before when I was talking about a lack of communication. When you are not communicating properly, <laughs> this can hurt you so badly. Because if you're not able to communicate effectively with your clients, then you'll always, you'll possibly ha always have difficult clients. Because both of you are not speaking the same language and you're not able to clearly understand what is expected on both ends, right? So you want to set clear expectations, right? Usually you want these clear expectations um, written, right? You want this, either you want this in, in writing, in an email, um, or in some cases in a DM, but I would prefer um, having those clear things within an email. So both of you know what are the, the expectations for the project that you're about to take on. Then number five, which is similar to number four, and that is having a written contract, right? You want to have a, a written contract for many reasons, but the biggest reason of all is that you want to have something, a document, a legally binding document that specifies the scope of the project, what needs to be done, how much is um, being charged for it, and when is the intended time of this project, um, of the completion of this project, right? You want to ensure that you have that. Because when you don't, then the client can easily add in other things. You can probably get overwhelmed and <laughs> mistakenly add other things that you weren't planning to add in or doing more work that you weren't supposed to do, right? Because there wasn't a clear guide as to what is supposed to be done for this project, right? So ensure you have a written contract for your projects. Number six, which is a pretty interesting one, and that is Ensuring that you have mood boards, right? For designers, this is a big thing, and for, for photographers as well. But a lot of creatives can really benefit from having a mood board, right? And if you don't know what, what a mood board is, a mood board basically 
is a visual representation of the of an aesthetic that you're looking for, right? So it usually is a collection of images that really evoke the feeling that you're going for, the idea that you're going for. And when you're able to have a mood board, it can further help um, communicate what the client would like to do or is where, they're, where they want to head to. And it gives both of you a good idea of what you're working with, right? Especially you as a creative. You, yeah, a mood board can help so much in terms of um, guiding you in the creative process because you always have a guide in terms of what it is the client is looking for, what it is that they're, they're trying to do with the project. For number seven, you want to have a clear decision-making criteria, right? And basically with this, you want to ensure, <laughs> you really want to ensure that there is something that can be referenced in terms of when a decision can be made and how a decision can be made so that you don't face the problem of a client not being able to make a decision on a logo concept or a pictures that were sent or a video project, whatever it is. You want to ensure that there's a clear structure as to how to come to a decision and what can be um, taken as a decision um, so you can move on throughout the process, right? This is that, that's such a really important point because when you don't have that, man, you can really get stuck and it can cause projects to go on for much longer than they need to because <laughs> the client can't make a decision, right? Or there's, there's possibly too many stakeholders involved. So there's too many persons throwing around their idea, their opinions, and you're not able to come to a decision, right? Then tip number eight, and that is ensuring that you use strategy over looks, right? Strategy over the aesthetics of the project, right? So with this, if you are designing, taking pictures, um, creating a video, planning an event, you always want to have a strategy behind your creative work. That is one of the best ways to really sell a, a client on what it is that you're doing and for them to really have a buy-in because when you can show a strategy as to why you're doing something, that helps them understand, again, that yes, you really know what you're doing, but it also reassures them that, hey, I might actually be able to meet the goal that I intended to meet um, because you as the creative, you're creating a clear path as to why you're doing certain things, why you chose that specific color, why you chose that text, why you chose various elements within the project to um, ensure that the goal of the project is met, right? So you want to ensure that you go with strategy over aesthetics, right? And then number nine, number nine, setting benchmarks, right? So setting benchmarks is similar to point number seven, right? But with setting benchmarks, this, this has to do with the scope of the project. And within the scope of the project, you want to have various steps, various goals that can be hit throughout the project, right? So from a designer standpoint, um, an example would be throughout the, the, the logo design phase, you normally want to send concepts, right? black and white concepts before you move on to either adding other elements 
or adding color later on, right? So normally you send the first mockups to the client so they can see, have an idea of where it is you're going. They can approve the initial mockup. You can explain why it's in black and white and why you use color later on. And then once you do that, you can move on to the next step. And that is either adding, adding color or any other thing that you would like to do. For me, it's kind of a, it's usually a two-step process. Um, with at least with logo design, it could be a, a few more depending on what, what, yeah, depending on the client and depending on the scope of work. Um, and if it's a branding project, of course, there's a few more steps as well. But yeah, right. You want to have various steps, various goal, um, various goals that can be met. So throughout the process, you, while you're taking the client throughout the process, you're meeting these goals and there's a clear definition as to where you're going and yeah, a clear definition in terms of progress, being able to see that the project is being, there's progress within the project. I don't know why that was so hard for me to say. <laughs> like in my head, I knew what I wanted to say, but it was just hard for me to say. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. And then number 10, which is so, so, so important, right? Number 10 is hmm, you always want to underpromise and overdeliver. Whoo! Say that again. Under <laughs> Sorry. You want to underpromise, right? Underpromise and overdeliver. Right? What do I mean by that? So you never want to do the opposite of what I just said right? You don't want to tell the client that, yeah, I can do this. I can give you five concepts for your logo and I can provide so many pictures, da, da, da. But you end up delivering less than that because you realize later on that it's way too much work, right? Or, you know, something happened and it couldn't happen the way you'd want to. From the client's perspective, it sucks for them because it's like, yo, I paid for XYZ but you gave me less than that. So it's like, really, bro? You know? But when you underpromise and overdeliver, it's something that really it's like the icing, the icing on the top of the cake, man. Because if you're able to tell a client that, you know, initially you tell them, I'll be able to give you two to three mock-ups for your logo, right? But you end up sending them four concepts, four mock-ups, right? And you just add little small things that you didn't have to do, right? Because in some cases, you can, from a designer's perspective, again, you could create a logo and probably even add in a little brand guide, you know, in terms of colors and that they should use and text that they can use. It's something you probably didn't mention, but you just added it in there, you know? It's something that always, it's something that clients always appreciate, you know? And I think it's something that you should really 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 consider doing finding something that you can add on that is not a part of the initial package because it's it's one of the best ways to have clients wanting to come back and it's one of the best ways to just get great reviews because you over delivered bro you over delivered you under promised and over delivered you gave them more than they expected and i'm pretty sure you can relate to the last time that happened to you, if you went to a restaurant and you got an experience that was way better than you expected, you are more likely to rave about that restaurant because you went there for burgers and fries, 
but they threw in a free shake or you know it just it just makes you all warm and bubbly inside it makes you feel appreciated and it makes you feel as if the um the person that is rendering the service to you really cares about you and really cares about the fact that you decided to do business with them you know and that's how you want your clients to feel whenever they deal with you right so i really hope these 10 ways of dealing with difficult clients really helped you i hope you can use all 10 of them <laughs> if if needed uh, because trust me man as a creative dealing with difficult clients is just a part of the process it's something you will deal with but you want to be able to approach it in the best way possible because the way you deal with difficult clients truly shapes your business it, it truly shapes how your business is viewed and how future clients will view you if you build up a reputation of dealing with clients badly trust me man that's gonna hurt your business really bad like you always want to ensure your your clients are happy right ensure that that you are giving them as best as much as you can but also there are times where you have to fire clients yes you can fire clients <laughs> you can get hired right and you can get fired but you can also hire clients and fire clients right you decide what clients you want to deal with you decide what clients you want to work with and you decide what clients you don't want to work with there are times where clients just they they cross the line man they can be disrespectful they can say things that truly shouldn't be said they can cross certain boundaries in terms of the creative process there's so many things that can happen that a client can do that is just unacceptable at times that you just have to be like you know what i really appreciate um working with you but i gotta cut ties man like we need to end this relationship before it gets worse kind of thing and honestly <laughs> i think i could do another episode about that like specifically dealing with um firing clients when you need to because bruh any creative can tell you that it's necessary at, at some point in time i think the ultimate goal the ultimate dream is to never have to do that but man it's real out here in these streets bro sometimes you gotta fire some clients bro <laughs> um yeah so i really hope you enjoyed today's episode and I hope to see you next week, next week Wednesday for episode 14. Peace. Thanks for listening to the Creatively Paid podcast at www.creativelypaid.com. 